If you got your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 18. As we walk through the book of Acts, and we look at the picture of the early church, and we lay it over our church, and we ask questions, God, what are you showing us here in the book of Acts in the early church, and therefore, what are you asking of us? Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 18, which is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul's going to go on three missionary journeys. This is the end of his second journey, as so I want to read in verse 18. Okay, we got one verse this morning. All right, that's verse 18. All right, and it says this in Acts chapter 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuria he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. All right, if you remember last week, Paul was evangelizing in the city of Corinth, and we talked about the city of Corinth had three uh, names that were typically associated with the city. Sin city, sex city, sensual city. And so Paul walks into Corinth, right, and he begins, all right, to share the gospel with the Jews and the Greeks amidst the backdrop, all right, of this stranglehold of sin and sexuality. All right, and those that believed in the words of Paul, right, came to be, and there was a church that was established in Corinth. We see that in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians when he writes to them to encourage and instruct them. All right, so he has just spent a year and a half and some change in the city of Corinth, and now he's going to be leaving. He's setting sail back to Antioch, back to his home church. Right, if you remember back to Acts chapter 13, Antioch and the believers there, the church there, are the ones in which sent him out. They laid hands on Paul and they said, Paul, go. Fulfill what the Lord has called you to do. Go. Right, and so he's returning back to Antioch all right, from his second missionary journey. And that's what we're reading here in verse 18. He's headed home. Alright, but what I want to talk to you about is at the end of 18, it says he cut his hair for he was under a vow. I want to talk about that word, vow. Okay, I remember uh, in my wedding day, I remember saying my vows. I remember right in sickness and in health. I remember in good times and in bad, I vow to these things or I promise these things. I promise to love you unconditionally. I promise to forgive you as Christ has forgiven me. I promise to support you. All right? I promise to cherish you, right? This is we're all familiar with the vows, right, at a wedding ceremony. It's a promise. All right, and this promise before God and before others is a binding, all right, contract or a binding covenant between the two parties and with God. A vow. And it says here that Paul had taken a vow. Right, we see in Scripture there are many different types of vows. All right, and I want to highlight the Nazarite vow because this is probably the vow that Paul had taken. All right, in Numbers chapter 6, if you want to read about the Nazarite vow, you can read about it in Numbers 6. Okay, but the purpose of the Nazarite vow was this it was to separate yourself to the Lord for what the Lord has called you to. You're going to separate yourself to the Lord. For what the Lord has asked you to do. What the Lord is asking you to fulfill. So if we go back to Acts chapter 13, the Lord had called Paul, Hey, I want you to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Right? 
And so in the Nazarite vow, you're going to separate yourself from everything else for the purpose of what the Lord has called you to do. All right, we see examples of the Nazarite vow. If you remember the story of Samson, right? Samson had taken the Nazarite vow, all right, in order to defend Israel, to fight for Israel, to save Israel from the Philistines. All right, Samuel. We're reading through the book of Samuel right now as a staff, and then first Samuel, right? Samuel comes on the scene, right? Samuel takes the Nazarite vow, and he is separated to the Lord for what the Lord has called him to do. And what the Lord had called Samuel to do was to judge Israel faithfully, to lead God's people faithfully, okay? We also see John the Baptist in the New Testament, right? God had called John the Baptist, hey, you're going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. You're going to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. This is what I'm calling you to. Separate yourself to me in order to fulfill what I've called of you. We also see this in the life of Jesus. If you flip with me to Luke chapter 22, I want to highlight this before we talk about Paul. There's a familiar scene in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus is with his his band of disciples, the 12 that are following Jesus in his ministry, those that Jesus is going to empower and send out into the world to establish his church. And in Luke verse 22, he's sitting around the table with his disciples, right? You have the institution of the Lord's Supper. But Jesus says this as he's sitting around the table with his disciples. He says this in verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Part of the Nazarite vow was you weren't to have any wine or any juice that came from the grapevine. You were to abstain from that. You were not to cut your hair. You were not to shave your face. And so typically you could tell somebody who had taken the Nazarite vow because they looked like, you know, a homeless guy. I asked my wife the other day, yesterday, I said, can I take a vow? She's like, no, your mustache looks gross. <laughs> no, you need, to, you need to keep that trend. But you can usually tell who had taken the Nazarite vow because they hadn't shaved their heads. They hadn't shaved their faces. And Jesus says around the table with his disciples, hey, I desire so much to take this with you. Understand me. I want to partake in the communion of my flesh and my blood with you. But I will not take it again until the kingdom of God comes. The next time we take this, we'll be at the banquet. And Revelation, it'll be at the heavenly banquet. And there we will take it together again. But he says, hey, 
I desire to take this, but I'm not going to because I have vowed and I have set myself apart for what this week is going to look like, what the Lord has asked me to do this week. This was the Passion Week. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be marred beyond recognition. But I am going to fulfill what the Lord has called me to do. John chapter 19, we see the fulfillment of Jesus' obedience and His separating Himself to the Father to accomplish the Father's will. In John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, as the vow was now over, as he had fulfilled what the Lord had asked him to do for the week, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it's finished. I have taken my vow to accomplish what the Lord had called me to. What was it that the Lord had called him to? Let me be clear. Numbers chapter 6, at the end of fulfilling your vow, you were to offer up a sin sacrifice to the Lord. A goat, a lamb, a dove, you were to offer a sacrifice. Jesus, at the end of his vow, offers a sacrifice, and that is, He offered Himself for our sin. He offered His body, His flesh. He offered Himself as the living sacrifice so that our sin may be atoned for. So that we may have new life in Jesus Christ. This was the vow that Jesus had taken. So in Acts chapter 18, Paul's headed home. And it reminds me of what I'm looking at right now. This is home. This is our our home. This is where our church home is. This is where every week we come together on Sunday to then be sent back out. And we come together on Sundays to tell the stories of what God had done during the week, what we saw him do, how he used us. We come together on Sunday to tell those stories, to encourage one another. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's headed home to the church at Antioch to share with them what the Lord had done on his second missionary journey. And on his way home, he cut his hair. He had fulfilled what the Lord had asked of him. If you remember, in Philippi, he starts out his second journey. And we watched Lydia give her life to Christ. We watched the jailer and his family give their lives to Christ because of Paul's ministry. We saw in Thessalonica, Paul reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews. And we saw Jews, Greeks, men and women alike come to give their life to Christ. We saw in Berea. Paul reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, and we saw Jews, Greeks, women, and men alike 
give their life to Christ. We saw in Athens, Paul was given a platform to reason with the elite in the city. And we saw Greeks, Jews, men and women alike give their life to Christ. We saw last week in the city of Corinth, Paul proclaimed with steadfastness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jews, Greeks, men and women alike giving their life to Christ. Planting churches in each city. Persevering. Enduring affliction. Drawing strength from the Lord. And so he gets to the end of his vow. And he cuts his hair on the way home. And I can imagine what that feeling would be like. I imagine it's a feeling of gratitude. Lord, thank you for blessing my eyes to get to see the things that I've gotten to see. The people that have given their life to Christ, the ministry that I've gotten to be a part of, the way that you've used me and given me purpose, thank you for blessing my eyes and getting to see the things that I've gotten to see. I imagine Paul, as he offered up, a sacrifice. It was nothing but gratitude. Even in the affliction, even in the hardship, he was grateful. And so he heads home. And we'll get to the rest of 18 and 19 next week. But I have two questions I want us to think seriously about this morning. All right. The first one is this is that we see in Scripture different examples of people that take up a vow to separate themselves to the Lord for the purpose in which the Lord has called them. Whether it be Samson or Samuel, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, we see examples of these vows taken to fulfill what the Lord has asked. Have you ever taken a vow Have you ever established a vow with the Lord? Have you ever heard the Lord ask something of you and you've set, your, you've set yourself apart for that work and you said, I will take this vow, I will separate myself to fulfilling this work. And I will be single focused. I will not waver. I will fix my eyes on what it is that you have called me to do. Have you ever had that experience before? Because this morning I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into listening to what the Lord might ask you to do. How he might ask you to set your life apart for him. What would he ask of you? As I was thinking this week and last week, and I was telling Adam this morning, last week's passage uh, has, has continued to convict me into this week. It's just not going away. And oftentimes when you're asking the question, what is the Lord asking of me? Is this from the Lord? Or is this, is this of my own doing, my own conjuring up? How do I know this is what the Lord is asking of me? Sometimes when it doesn't go away, it's from the Lord. And last, week, last week's passage just keeps knocking, knocking home. And I feel like the Lord is saying, Zach, set yourself apart 
for the work of evangelism. There are people in this city, just like the people in Corinth, there are people in this city that are mine. And you need to go. And you need to share the gospel with them. And so I've been in prayer about, Lord, is this what you're asking of me? Is this what you're setting apart for me? Do I need to intentionally go into the public place, to go into the city, to share the gospel with those people? Because there are those in this city that are yours. Is that what you're asking of me? What might the Lord ask of you? I want to invite you to ask that question. The second question I want to ask you is this. As Paul shaves his head and he cuts his hair and he offers a sacrifice after the completion of his second missionary journey, can only imagine how grateful he is to be used by the Lord and to get to see the things that he saw. What are you grateful for this morning? I showed up this morning and saw this pumpkin outside of the office door. And on the pumpkin, there were many uh, 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 phrases written on it. It said, I am thankful for this. I am thankful for this. Because there was a, a group up here last night that was fellowshipping around the fire, carving pumpkins, eating food, hanging out. And they had this exercise where apparently they wrote what they were thankful for on the pumpkins. And so I got to read some of that on the pumpkin this morning. That was encouraging. I want to invite you to ask yourself, what are you grateful for this morning? What have you seen the Lord do in your family's life, in your own life, in the church's life that you are grateful for? As we enter the holiday season, I invite you to spend some time thinking about that. And let that shape, let that shape what you think. Because there's a lot of distractions for us. A lot of things to occupy our minds with that are unhealthy, that are toxic, that are poison, that produce cynicism and anger and bitterness. How about we spend a time, time as a church thinking about, you know what? Thank you, God, for allowing me to see this. God, I am grateful for this. I want to invite you to do that with me as well. What might the Lord set you apart for? What do you need to be grateful for? For this is what we see modeled in the Apostle Paul. And so let's lay that over us. And let's seriously ask ourselves what God wants to do with us and what God wants to do with our church. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray. All right. And then we're going to witness baptisms this morning. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. And just like typical gateway fashion. All right. When we witness baptisms, we celebrate. We celebrate and we remember what Jesus said. How the father rejoices and all of heaven rejoices when the one returns home. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Okay. So pray with me. And then we're going to do some baptizing. God, thank you for this morning for the picture that my eyes are seeing right now. The picture of your people 
the picture of those that you have called and redeemed and those that you are sustaining and keeping for eternity. Thank you for allowing me to see that picture this morning. God, thank you for giving me purpose that's found in you and delivering the message of your Son. God, I pray that as we continue to worship in a fellowship this morning, that we would experience your church, your simple but profound church. God, you didn't make it too hard for us to experience and know you, but it's simple. We devote ourselves to your word, to each other. And when we do that, we get to experience the fullness of your glory. And so, God, I pray that we would experience just that this afternoon. God, I pray this in your name. Amen.